0: welcome to another episode of the love the problem podcast this is the show where every week we take you through the journey with people from all walks of life and they share with us why they love solving the problem they have on this week's episode of the love the problem podcast we got the chance to sit down with taylor ryan the cmo at valuer.ai And he shares with us his journey into growth hacking and what he considers to be the future of innovation the session was raw and unfiltered where we gave taylor the chance to say what he really thinks about some rather poignant topics so you should maybe expect a few explicit and colorful phrases throughout this episode enjoy the conversation
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Love the Problem podcast. Uh, We're here with Taylor Ryan from Valuer. Quite excited to have him sit down with us, um, but let's jump right into it. Hey, Taylor, uh, can you let people know a little bit about yourself, your background, um, and let's just jump right in.
2: Sure. I mean, I don't know how deep you guys want me to go.
1: Um, Just start talking and we'll we'll ask questions. Awesome.
2: (laughs) Okay. Um, So basically, I'm originally from the Washington, DC, metropolitan area. Uh, My background is probably not the most linear trajectory in terms of the way that entrepreneurs kind of come into the startup scene. So uh, I graduated at the height of the economic recession, 2008, which was probably the worst fucking time to graduate. Uh, So the concept was basically I couldn't find a job. uh, And so I jumped into different things. Now, now prior to this, I think I had done a lot of what um, you hear a lot of entrepreneurs talk about, which is. The mowing lawns uh you know shoveling snow
0: isn't that real entrepreneurship though like you know as as entrepreneurship goes isn't that really you know all this tech stuff is just a facade right but you know real work and entrepreneurship comes from mowing lawns steering papers or oh, am i out of here
2: no, I agree. It, it's one of those things that just it didn't have a name when you were a kid. You know, no, like the, just it was doing work. <laughs> yeah, businessman. You know, like an eight-year-old with a lunchbox. You know, it, it's just one of those things. So, you know, I, I did that for a really long time, and just kind of assumed maybe everybody else did. And as you get further along in life, and you meet a lot of people that never did that, it's like, what the fuck? Like, you weren't hustling as a kid. You weren't selling baseball cards. You weren't doing all these little side jobs. And they're like, no, why would I do that? So sometimes you're kind of born with it. Sometimes it it just kind of happens to you and, you know, a a lower middle income kind of situation. So if you wanted something of your own, it's not like mom and pops are going to hook you up. So you got to kind of hustle. And that's that's been a big driver within me for for years, you know. And so, yeah, when I graduated at the height of the economic recession and watched a handful of friends, Uh, going on to great jobs at, you know, Deloitte, KPMG, PwC, all these amazing companies, I was left scrambling, uh, you know, because I was under this mindset of when you go to school and get a degree, it doesn't matter what it's in because everybody gets jobs
1: with any degree. Um, So I was, I mean, that was the idea, right? Quick question on that. So if you thought you could get any degree and get a job, what degree did you get?
2: Psychology
1: okay I mean that seems at least somewhat useful
2: yeah, well nowadays yeah but it's
1: <laughs> <laughs> somewhat useful
0: <laughs>
2: I mean I'm, I'm looking at James's face I can tell
1: yeah but I mean it wasn't like a completely there are other degrees that I would, could easily be completely useless to get a job okay I don't want to okay. name names that's, that's yeah but, but I, can, I can you
0: name a name for that just just you know what would you say is, is on that on that list Alex
1: I'm going to call it some of the more humanities oriented fields. There you go. Let's, let's talk about I don't know, how many jobs are there for art history majors? Right. As, as, as an example. I would say there's probably more for psychology majors than like art history. Majors. Potentially, yeah. I mean, that's a great question. Actually, I'm
2: sure we could look that up to see how many art history majors are actually doing something of, of real worth other than pouring coffee. You know. <laughs> now we've got a
0: load of angry
2: art history majors, man. No, that's mean, okay. They don't listen to podcasts anyway, so don't worry about it.
1: Um, this art form's below them. Um,
2: but yeah, you know, I, I had originally thought that tens of <laughs> subscribers in the art literature
0: community it's just well, this is not for me. I, I'm out of here.
2: That's funny. But yeah, I mean, the, the concept was I, I genuinely thought that a lot of these things would just naturally fall into place. And when they don't, that's the holy shit kind of moment. And yeah. so I started working at an American white oak barrel company. So I was selling barrels up and down the East Coast. So so an American, I love the way that Americans also have to put the fact that it was American. <laughs> and the fact that the white
0: oak barrel company was based in America meant nothing else. But it was yeah. an American white oak barrel Well, that is the, the
2: type of wood, right? <laughs> so if it were a cedar we're just facetious. barrel <laughs> company, it wouldn't hold the, uh, yeah, wouldn't hold the it wood. It would be wood. an American cedar <laughs> Yeah, probably yeah. would, actually. That's fair enough. <laughs> That's fair. But yeah, so like the job was basically during the week, I would either be traveling, uh, meeting people from wineries, distilleries, uh, vineyards. And then on the weekends, I would go to festivals. So, you know, jazz festivals, uh, Irish, Italian, and state fair type festivals, balloon festivals. Uh, Was there a
0: festival that you did not attend in order to sell your white barrels?
2: No, not during that time. I mean, it's
0: no county fair was safe from you. Well, I mean,
2: when you think about it, it's like the massage uh, therapist that doesn't want to massage their partner because they're like, look, I don't want to bring my work home with me. You know? (laughs) Same concept. But, you know, like So the you he-
1: weren't selling barrels to your, your partner at the time? Is <laughs> no. Well, I, was, I was luckily very single at that time. So. Imagine that being a barrel
2: salesman.
0: You have perfectly lovely, happy families and wives and girlfriends and or boyfriends, I'm sure.
2: Right. No, I mean, it, it was an interesting experience because I also got to mess with some of the marketing side. Uh, and throughout my experience within high school, I always saw marketing as... This is what the really pretty girls end up getting into right away, and this is a field made for them, and I don't have that, so. So
0: you had to work on it? Yeah, Mm, essentially,
2: I guess, you know, because back in the day, marketing was attending events and putting on a big smile and telling people how great your product is and coming up with ideas for commercials. How great, I mean, that sounds amazing. I would love to do that now, but the reality is there's so much more to it, right? And so I got into drop shipping. So the concept was before Amazon really existed in terms of allowing people to use an affiliate system oh. to drop ship all, all types of different stuff, uh, we were seeking out, I was seeking out everything under the sun that would sell a barrel on their website. So it was wedding, uh, like wedding gift websites or uh, <laughs> actlikeapirate.com uh, was one of them. <laughs> I don't think they're around anymore. A, a lot of people- that- I can
0: imagine why actlikeapirate.com would need- <laughs> white oak barrel. Yep. I think that mm. uh, they wouldn't go for the cedar. Never, mm. never, never. No, no, but I mean it's part of
2: the look, right? So like a lot of steampunk was kind of catching strides at that time so a lot of people were buying those from steampunk kind of websites. There's actually an
0: amazing amount of uses for a barrel supposedly. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's
2: true. I've, I've also known that all the like, you know,
0: good barrels are old barrels that have been soaked in sherry beforehand and stuff like that but you're going with fresh barrels. So the yes. fact of
2: But they were smaller, right? So, like, the average 55-gallon barrel that you would end up getting brand new for, like, Jim Beam or whatever, uh, the idea is that those are – there's a secondary market for that, and and it's amazing. And there's a big resale value for – Use ones that come out of like a bourbon, uh, yeah. a bourbon factory or distillery.
0: But the pirate um, just can't afford that for his costume.
2: No, and it's also why is he going to carry around a fifty-five gallon, you know, giant no, barrel? No, <laughs> no one's asking
0: why he's carrying a barrel, a barrel anyway. But right? Yeah, sure. But these were <laughs> these
2: That's were small the first bars. question have, I feel like we've gotten really in depth on the fucking barrel. <laughs> we can move on.
0: You, you haven't
1: <laughs> listened to the <this> show before.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I you know. I just just more. It just fascinates me that you know. I think on in all industries that everything has to be sold in some way or another and there's always someone selling it was this part of your hustling process I think that that you you kind of wanted to go through or who just fell into it or per chance or
2: yeah I, I think anybody that came into the professional market or graduated around that same time understands there was a lot of fake jobs out there and when I say fake jobs it's basically they're cold calling or jobs that you know you get fired within the first 30 days most times because they have unrealistic expectations of You have to close this many deals. You know, a lot, it was was an employer's job market. Mm -hmm. If you could survive, Mm -hmm. you know, it it was, we Mm -hmm. can hire and fire anybody because everybody's so hungry to get a chance to work. Mm -hmm. You know, and I do look at a lot of young people that are entering the job market today and it's like, you have an unemployment rate in the United States, in some places as low as 3%. Fuck you. You have (laughs) no idea how bad it gets, right? You know, and there's places like in Europe right now. Spain still has young folks within... I think the age group is like, you know, 18 to 35. I think unfortunately
0: you're to have to discount Spain a little bit because I think the way the system works and uh, they don't force you to, to take that time off, but it very, makes it very easy to work for only six months of the year. And you dictate when those six months of the year are. So okay. those, those factors do come into play as well. But I yeah. can certainly see you as well where you're coming from. But I think also going back to it was was amazing. You mentioned you were drop shipping at that time. Yes, you were drop shipping, at a time when no one else really thought about drop shipping because the pirate guy didn't want ten thousand barrels or fifty barrels or five barrels. So he doesn't sure. have it. He doesn't have the ability to do that. But you had the ability and you had the need at the same time. So it was connecting that up. That's an early release. Really, you know. Was it called dropshipping back in the day? Or it was, was it a ton like- of fun.
2: Yeah, because it's 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 finding a new skill. It's like somebody tossing you a flashlight in a dark room and all of a sudden you get to see everything, you know? I I never got a chance to work on anything like that leading up to this, you know? And I had already gone through the entrepreneur route and had failed two companies just before getting out of school. Yeah, One was a home remodeling company uh, and I don't mind saying, it's not like he's listening. Dude was a fucking drug addict. So most of <laughs> the money that came in... I would get a very small commission and I saw the rest of it go up his nose, you know, and that's disheartening. So I was like, cool, I can do better at this than that guy. So you mean the, the
0: business, right? Yeah. The business. Okay, just, just well, I mean,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the metaphor is <laughs> getting lost on <laughs> me, <now. Neither. laughs> but yeah, you know, it's super frustrating when you work with uh, an incompetent boss, it makes you either want to leave or do a better job yeah. ultimately taking advantage of the situation. So that was the home remodeling gig. And I ended up becoming really good buddies with the guy that uh, started this with me. It it didn't pan out. So then we went into teeth whitening franchising. So we basically (laughs) reached out to a bunch of suppliers in China. And in terms of like, (laughs) in terms of testing what is good for human consumption or what can go in people's mouths, there is no liability and no testing entity within the United States. So you can go, yeah, yeah, that's... 99% 99% peroxide probably would kill you, but here, go ahead, it'll shine your teeth up real nice. And so, they sell them in Walmart. <laughs> 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 True, I think yeah. I bought a couple beforehand in my lifetime. So long <laughs> as you put on, you know, the box not for human consumption, external use only, that kind of nonsense, you're fine. Um, so, external
0: use only. Like your teeth. Like the teeth <laughs> in your mouth, yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that. basically.
1: I mean, there's little no liabilities you Things. don't close your mouth; it's on the outside. <laughs> there you go.
2: But you know, it's a ton of fun figuring out. Like, this is how somebody starts up a product is yeah. essentially finding the cheapest manufacturer and then throwing in on a big order. If I order a hundred, it's going to be exponentially more expensive than if I order a thousand or even ten thousand. So,
0: so learning the economic, economics of scale at the same time. Totally,
2: and then having to shop around, and this was this was like two thousand seven, two thousand eight. So the idea of finding a good manufacturer in China, in which somebody could actually have a conversation with you over the phone, was damn near impossible. Right. <laughs> so when you did find a good manufacturer, whether it was in Chengdu or wherever it was. Uh, It was incredibly difficult to get the one guy at the company that actually spoke English to make sure he got the order absolutely correctly because, you know, if you end up getting a sample and it's the wrong shit, that's money out of your pocket that you don't get to replace, especially when you're super bootstrapped. So the concept of this was basically just going up and down the East Coast again and essentially bringing uh, these giant boxes of teeth whitening for uh, spas uh, dentists, uh, tanning salons, basically anybody that has kind of this cosmetic type Did of look. Did
0: the dentist pick it up? Was it more dentists or was it more tanning salons? Just more
2: tanning salons by far. Because okay, dentists the... already have kind of their network for this. Mm-hmm. And so even yeah. though we were offering it at a cheaper price, it didn't matter. So if you go into the dentist for teeth whitening, they end up... Because they
0: would think that that's the you know instant thing goes to the dentist. Yeah. But you know you never would think, I'm going to take it to the tanning salon.
2: Right. So. Well, the idea is like, why not add it as a serving uh, service offering? So if you're worried about the complexion or color of your skin, or it's not dark enough, then maybe your teeth aren't light enough. Who knows? So it was kind of like a happy pairing. I, I don't know.
0: Happy, really dysfunctional, miserable pairing. <laughs> yeah, sort of.
2: <laughs> but you know, this also came about at the wrong time. This was uh, right around the time that a lot of news came out about uh, tanning beds being more dangerous than sun exposure. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys remember that. That was like the early 2010s.
0: I
1: was not in the sunbed industry. I don't remember that, but uh, a funny aside, 2010, I was in Korea okay. and In Korea, they have whitening cream. Crazy. And, but the, the crazy thing is the commercials for this whitening cream, basically almost verbatim said, everything is better when you're white. that's what they were marketing to people (laughs) unfortunately
0: I think that you're saying Jesus but uh, it's actually happening all across Southeast Asia and I couldn't buy a moisturizer Mm -hmm. in Southeast Asia without it being a bleaching agent Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like I'm the only Thai person probably out there on the beach underneath the sun going, yes, come on. <laughs> Whereas everyone else is under the shade. or Because, of course, it goes down to, to culture. And to, yeah. if the darker you are, the more you are in the sun. Not because you have a holiday. It's because you have to work out in the sun.
1: Um, I, but, it's uh, one of those things that I think is always funny that's flipped. In, in the West, it's always, you're yeah. darker means you have more free time. You can go to the beach. And in Asia, it's darker. It means you work in the fields. And so you're a laborer. And so it's, it's kind of this right. flipped class that system yeah, it's a yeah. super funny thing and they have the opposite sort of standards of beauty based on how the classes everyone wants opposite is that what you're <laughs> trying to say is that kind of <laughs> yeah. yeah. dress is always um, greener right
0: we're going into that so i mean like it's really interesting to see where you took that element of um this kind of this hustle this hustle element that you've always kind of had it throughout your career so far hand i mean what was that where did that drive come from is it was it something that your parents installed into you? Was that something that you think you've you kind of picked up along the way? Or do your parents install such so, so much a safety net you went, I need to break this? Or No, you know?
2: I I mean I, I understand the question. It I it's tough to answer, right? So like it it's not so much the hustle as much as it is like I want to find out cool shit that not as many people know. You know, mm-hmm. like it, it's more fun to figure out a system. Yeah. So if I figured out how to make Something out of nothing using an old lawnmower. That was cool. Or this stuff that falls from the, s- the sky called snow and uh, Stacks up on driveways. I can make money off of that and it melts in two days, you know, like that mm. was cool So That's recurring
0: revenue right? Yeah, right. Yeah,
2: You know like that's that's kind of the concept and there is a reward at the end for all of this figuring out the angle and, and how to get it right so I figured who are these assholes that are selling these teeth whitening kits for $500 when I know that they only cost 30 to manufacture. So there's got to be something I'm missing and there isn't. It's just you have to figure it out and do it yourself and go, oh, I get it now. Like I've, I've, I've uncovered the secret yeah. and now either I exploit it and use it to make my own money or I take the learnings and apply it to something else. That's yeah. kind of the concept.
0: Super nice. But
2: yeah, um, I mean, carrying on from there, um, <clears throat> I decided uh, at that point, I, I needed a change of scenery. I had the wanderlust. I think I was 24, 25. And at that point, it was, uh, you know, it was a lot of floundering. So I went to uh, San Diego, California, lived out there for 10 months, absolutely fucking hated it. Um, I, I So
0: Washington on one side, then to California on the other side. Yeah. You hated it. Was it the absolutely weather? Was it the, the people or was it?
2: Yeah, so California would be great if it weren't for the people. Uh,
1: it, it's, <laughs> I out of out of really curiosity, out of that, uh, so I did a personal similar shift, a uh, New Yorker who then moved to San Francisco. Okay. So I, I got some time, but I get the sense that this could be a because there is you probably North got Cal this. South Cal are very different, super different. And I imagine if you went to Northern California, you, you might have a, a different experience or a different point of view. Who knows? Uh, who, I could be knows? living there right <laughs> now. Less <laughs> calories in North Cal or South Cal? Is it? Not- <laughs> Is that, yeah.
0: This is Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: So like it, it's, it's the whole surfer mentality, right? Like San Diego is a sleepy little beach town, not a whole lot going on. No major industry coming out of there. There's a little bit of biotech. There's a little bit of academia, but not a lot else. Yeah. It's one of those things. Um, I always use this metaphor and sometimes it's lost on people. You ever seen the movie, big fish? With Ian McGregor. Yes. I know yeah. of it. I haven't seen it, it's but true. It's kind of like a, a Force Gump-type tale, sort of, but, you know, the guy's not as dim. So, you know, like, the, the concept is <laughs> he goes on this grand adventure because he wants to get out of his small town. You know, he, he doesn't want to be the big fish in a small pond. He wants to go to the ocean. He wants to be in the biggest environment possible and make it out there. So he goes on this grand adventure, and in the midst of his adventure, he ends up in this lovely little town called Spectre. Uh, and so Spectre has basically grass instead of a street, and there's these little string lights all over and everything looks magical, very húga. and there happens to be a hoedown, but it's a hoedown every night and everybody gets warm apple pie. And so in the midst of this hoedown and, and everybody enjoying themselves, he's starting to realize that this isn't, this isn't where he's supposed to be. So in the midst of, of everybody having a great time and dancing around him. Uh, He he basically stops, and the music stops, and he's like, I have to leave. And the mayor of the town runs up, and he goes, well, nobody's ever left. And it's one of those crazy things. When I was leaving San Diego, people were like, you can't leave San Diego. It's San Diego. Nobody leaves paradise, you know. And in the movie, as he's walking away, the mayor of the town calls after him and says, you're never going to find a nicer place. And his response is, I don't intend to, you know. The idea Mm -hmm. is that he found it too early. I would have been thrilled to end up in San Diego. San Diego is a great place to retire, be old as fuck, live on the cliffs with a giant mansion, and just hang out. But, you know, in terms of getting stuff done, that's where I'm at. So trying to network with people, trying to get a business started out there. People are like, dude, slow down. What are you doing? And my question is like, why are you working? Why are you feeding yourself? And my question was, well, fellas, what happens if we're still doing the same jobs, the same shit in five years and there's a, a, a pin drop of silence and then everybody's like, oh man, I wish, you know, like that would be great. Surfing every morning, chilling out, drinking every day. And I'm like, whoa, whoa I got to go. You know, <laughs> and, and that was the environment out there. It, it took me 10 months to basically really get a good feel for it. Uh, I don't miss it at all. Um, so that was my trip to uh, San Diego. Wow uh,
0: So, if you're from San Diego and you want to tell us what it's really like, let us know
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I feel like I've shit on, so art history majors, San Diego, and I feel like somebody else in the neighborhood. Again,
0: future. we've lost tens of listeners so <laughs> we're, we're down to like three now <laughs> No uh, I think that, So you left San Diego, and from that point, um, where did the journey take you?
2: So I had started, uh, I started a small business, basically, uh, it was called MULTD, uh, and we were trying to, trying to mitigate a lot of these people that were out of work still. This was going on like 2013, no, 2013. And the, the issue was basically a lot of students that were getting out of school, no experience, were not getting jobs. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people that were laid off, uh, Later stage workers, so like 50s and 60s, that's a death sentence basically. It means if you're laid off at that age in a shit economy, you're not getting a new job. So the idea was we put together something called Prepare to be Hired. And so he had 15 years of headhunter experience I knew how to work a video camera, and I knew the... Sorry,
0: did you just translate 15 years of headhunting experience to working a camera? Is that, <laughs> is that the, the, the 50-50 partnership? Well, obviously, partnership? he brought a lot more to the table, let's be honest. Table even more. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't. I, la- I thought you
1: elaborated on his side. Yeah, <laughs> He brought much more. It's okay. <laughs> that is such an arbitrage opportunity right there. <laughs> right?
2: Yes. I mean, it worked out for me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> But it was one of those things, you know, he needed somebody that he could rely on and I needed somebody that at the very least would give me a shot at working on things that were real instead of these fake jobs or really disappointing disappointing startups that didn't go anywhere. So uh, ultimately, we basically packaged this up and sold it to the government for a $4.3 million government contract. It was directed at getting veterans back into the workplace. Uh, it's called the TAP program, the Transition Assistance Program. Nice. So, yeah. That but that, is great. that
0: coming from your experience of them struggling to find a position and saying, actually, it's really tough out here? As are there other people in the same boat? Not even that look like me, but other people just in that same boat. Yeah.
2: I, I mean, it's like why everybody gets into life coaching, right? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. Group here number we, three. Here we go. Damn, I'm on fire. So, uh, no, I, I kid, <laughs> but, you know, fuck those guys. So, <laughs> So it's one of those things like the, I, I, I found myself super frustrated because I genuinely thought I had something in the way of abilities, but I wasn't getting the shot. And so there's a lot of people that were getting into that feeling. I'm like, dude, I've been there just four years ago for the last four years. So I certainly had skin in the game to, to do something there. But in terms of understanding all of the little nuances, uh, that was what I relied on my business partner to kind of show. And so being more on the... Uh, videographer side and some of the technical side you know we built uh, a platform in Moodle in terms of being able to kind of test yourself throughout the progress of the the entire course which was 40 hours and you know it was a lot of fun and super rewarding like you get to go down to like Fort Bragg and meet a bunch of guys that are getting guys and gals that are getting out of the military and it's one of those really messed up things because they're like, what the fuck am I supposed to do now? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, all they've been doing is working on you know ships here and there or but not even that, I think
0: it's the mentality. So in Australia, we invested into a company that also did this as well. Is where they retrained vets, and the specific element was retraining vets because they've been told what to do the entirety of their career. Yep. From day one, you know, you should do it this way. You should have to do it that way, and. And that doesn't lead to, one, a creative mindset. Uh, you can be as creative as you want internally, but if you've had that mentality into yourself instilled for such a long time in the entirety of your career, it's really impossible to, to make that change. And, and to, you know, to retrain those skills, but also finding the right positions for it as well. It's not just in the low level, hey, you, dig a hole over there. Yes, boss. Yeah, kind of mentality, right? It's you know, how can we do this? How can we train them as technicians? How can we train them to to do these bits that fit into to what they had beforehand? But d- did you find a struggle in in people wanting to to recruit expats? Was it a benefit or was it a
2: expats or ex- oh, sorry, vet- yeah, veterans. veterans? I mean, so like of course <laughs> yeah, there's expat a lot of veterans. No. Well, yeah, right, <laughs> expat veterans. Uh, mm-hmm. No, I, I think everybody everybody wants to think there's a chip on their shoulder. So like if I went through my entire life um, with some type of disability or I was anything other than what I am, uh, read between the lines, I would assume that everybody had something against, you know, whatever I was, whether it was a white male, female, whatever. I'd be like, they hate me because of this. So I found that a lot of people that we were meeting with said, I'm not getting a job because they think uh, I'm a veteran and that means I'm psychotic or I have yeah. PTSD and that will not play well in the office or I'm too assertive and that'll throw people off. I think sometimes it's like, dude, look at, look at what you're saying. Let's take a look at everything else in, you know, in isolation and maybe there's a one-off employer that has a weird situation but for the most part, people are inherently good and they're not judging you based on, Mm -hmm. this person was in the military, they're not gonna be a culture fit. But a lot of people use that as an excuse and that was something that we had to address as well. Is like, look, you're, if nothing else, better than a lot of the people. The people that are probably going to be more pressured by you are your colleagues because you're used to working 12 on and 12 off. You're used to doing the job until it's done. You're used to not calling out sick. That makes dis- You, a you super have a dis-
1: discipline like no other. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: You know, like, and that it's makes awesome. you a, an amazing employee. So, you know, if if I had the chance, I, of course, I'd go for that person because they have an, a stellar background. So, it just depends on how you frame it, you know. Uh-huh. And and that's that's kind of I don't know. That's where I'll leave that one. I guess.
1: I mean, I th- I think there there's James is giving me signals, but I don't know what they mean. Anyways, I, I think it gets into a lot that um, people are always. Way too much in their own head about these types of things. And, and at the end of the day, the other people don't care. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, like the other, it's not about you at the end of the day. The other people have their own shit that they're thinking about, and, and you're barely registering if you register totally. at all. And, and I think most people, they don't think about that. They don't think about the fact that, oh no, like, really? They, they're thinking about whatever their kids or their home situation or da 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 da. Yeah. They, they don't, unless you've obviously shown them that you have any of these things, like, you made it very much in their face, so they like have to deal with it. Yeah. It's barely. Made any type of dent whatsoever. I,
2: I, I mean, I always say that everybody is the center of their own universe, and it's impossible to to assume mm-hmm. that everybody's nitpicking and pulling <laughs> apart everything that you do because most people don't notice. You know. Yep. <laughs> and on that lovely <laughs> note. <laughs> <laughs> what
0: I am gonna do is then go. We we'll just go for a quick break, so we'll catch you right back after this. Awesome.
1: All right, everybody. Uh, Welcome back to the second part of the Love the Problem podcast with Taylor. Um, I know all of you have been dying to know this, but we just checked this out during the break. DressLikeAPirate.com does exist. It is a real thing. It's still going on to this day. Uh, Apparently, the website has not changed since Taylor has been selling barrels there. So if you want to sell a barrel, and and Taylor, how much money were you making off off each barrel? So...
2: With the wholesale model, uh, the lowest price barrel was $30, so I would have made 15 on the 30
1: So if you want to send Taylor a $15 check,
2: <laughs> go, go, go to
1: dresslikeapirate.com, and, and he probably will get a residual check off that. Doubt uh, it. No. <laughs> not for the
2: guy I worked for. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> um. Anyways, yeah. on that uh, note... On I mean, that I... note
1: um, we left off with, uh, before the break, a little bit about sort of <laughs> everyone's in their own world. And I honestly, you're barely registering on that. Um, I'm trying to think of where we want to go from from pirates to... No, I think it's, <laughs> on that
0: note, as I say, you, you know, went from vets, recruiting vets across, and seeing how you can take them into, into the workplace. And that's a commendable thing. And from that point, where did you once stop?
2: And where did it take you next... Yeah, I mean, like so the, the transition assistance program, uh, the 2012 TAP program that we won, uh, it's, it's a program where you basically design it, deliver it, and then that's it. It's not like you receive residuals after that.
0: You just it's- transitioned off the
2: program. What do you mean? Oh, oh! Just I thought you were saying, like, off the podcast. and like, no, no, what, what, no, what no, just happened? We,
1: we just got you telling that, yeah, right? We, we're, <laughs> we're <substituting laughs> a all right, boys, guys.
0: we're all <laughs> set. There's plenty of American-sounding people that would just be just a re- replica. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> there's millions of you out there.
2: <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it was one of those things that we thought we had something special because it, it seemingly was was resonating with the people that we delivered it to. So we started something called gigspire.com, uh, and, or .org. Uh, I, I'm sure you could buy both domains, like it's <laughs> not around anymore. Right. Uh, but you yeah. said that
0: last time, and now I can still dress that's like true. a pirate. That's true, that's actually .com. true. So yeah. good luck on that. Uh,
2: <laughs> but yeah, so like we, we co-founded this thing, and the idea was to go after government subsidies and basically say, if you are unemployed, the government is basically supposed to give you an incentive to take classes, So why not take our class? Um, We got validated through the University of Ohio, and it was something that was delivered to their students for free, which was a nice thing that we could then package and say, hey, state of Virginia or state of Maryland, uh, you can give anybody that is unemployed a chance to take our course. And if you recommend them to do it, we'd really love you for that. Uh, And you basically get put on a vendor list. The issue is that if you're trying to use government money in order to take a class, it takes three months of waiting time, bureaucracy, red tape. So by the time you actually get to go into your first day of the class, you might be three and a half, four months down the road. And maybe you're more disenfranchised at that point, or maybe you got a job between then. So we couldn't make the time between, hey, here's a class that you can take to, here's your first day of the class, any shorter than this 90 day period which basically killed anybody going into the class. Yeah. Super frustrating. So after about eight months of work on that, you know, we had to part ways. It, it There was no money left. And we didn't get all 4.3 million of, of what we had done with the transition assistance program. The way for anybody that wants to get into government contracting, if you partner up as a sub uh, subcontractor with a prime, somebody that has won or has a decent reputation behind them, and you say, look, Mr. and Mrs. Prime will do all the work. You get the credit. But next year, this partnership is no more. You basically give them all the money and all the opportunity. But then you are a prime contractor. And hopefully there's a chance that you can win that contract on your own on the next one. Uh, and that didn't happen. So <laughs> so yeah, you know, like it's all part of the fun, but it sucked at the time, right? You of know? Government
0: contracting at the yeah. same point.
2: And it's a lucrative. Have you guys ever seen the movie War Dogs? Yep, like, yeah, I have. It's but a that's lucrative That's actually what that led me
0: into like this feeling. <laughs> I was like, "Wait, wait, you went for that? These guys went for weapons." I was like, "You know, <laughs> guys, I know." Went, right? went rec- you went for recruiting vets. They went for. for I should have gone weapons. further
2: up the supply chain. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Do you didn't pick
0: pick page three? I mean, like the next one.
2: <laughs> you know, naturally, it's one of those things that I think anybody that gets into government contracting, it there's a shitload of money on the table. It's just dealing with bureaucracy and dealing with a lot of like orders and, and strict things. That, dude, it's not fun. Like, I mean, you've done that, right? Yeah. Like, you're dealing with that now. So, <laughs> yeah. Like nobody signs Technically up for that.
0: non-governmental, man. but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's nothing, still. Uh, non-governmental in the governance of NGOs. Yeah.
2: So still, you know, it's 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 a lot of extra work. So in any event, um, got out of that and got one of those let's just call it uh, fake jobs where it was basically smiling and dialing all day Um, and that was for basically a recruiting firm I figured I had already shown something in the way of an understanding of how to get people into the job world I don't find recruiting to be for me it's it you, you don't actually get to learn any type of technology no offense to recruiters. Wow. <laughs> this is like the fourth. <laughs> All right, I'm, no, I'm no. going for 10. You know? I, I'm
0: going to put the tally up now. But that's like five or six. So yeah. I think you hit fourth a couple of times. Oh,
2: <laughs> no, it's just, it's not fun. Um, so I did recruiting uh, for a company that really treated their employees pretty rough. And so at, at that point, I was I was really looking to get back into the start. It's not school.
0: ironic, right? You know, so the, the recruiting company, trying to recruit people for other people's company, had a really crap, like, you know, mentality and yeah. culture and place yeah. to work from. Is that, that's, that says a lot, right? But they can technically hire other people because they're really good at that. Yeah. Well, well actually, some of them were not these guys. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so there was that, um, I ended up at that point finding a guy that, you know, I was in Washington DC. So politics is where a lot of people work and there is a lot of money in politics and I had no idea until I got into political finance consulting uh, So I did that for the better part of uh, the end of an election cycle in 2012 so uh, yeah I mean it was it was an eye-opener in terms of the amount of money that goes in uh, in terms of donations and the the amount of let's just say lack of judgment uh, lack of understanding of, of basic network effects, how to reach out to your constituents. Mm-hmm. It's just non-existent. I, I think a lot of people get into politics because they want to improve society, but I think a lot of people stay because they figured out how to break the system or how to make the system work for them. So, you know, basic stuff... What stu- are you saying about
0: politicians? Can so you- <laughs> I just clarify that statement just very quickly? you man.
2: You know, in meeting some of, like, the really heavy hitters that were in D.C. around that time, it, it's crazy. Like, you know, grown-ass men, like hitting on interns that are like 18. I'm like, what are you doing? And it's like, oh, that's, that's a representative from Ohio. And I'm like, wow. Like, and you have this whole weird Mr. Smith goes to Washington kind of concept Mm -hmm. of how these people are supposed to be maybe like judges or something. They're supposed to be uh, a higher level of standard in terms of the way Mm -hmm. they, they go about their, their lives. And they're not, they're just fucking people. You know, they're people that are just trying to hustle like anybody else trying to pay the mortgage. So that was an eye-opener. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it happens. But the way that DC works, which is very unique, is it's very cyclical. So mm-hmm. lots of opportunities, lots of jobs leading up to a midterm election or a four-year election, and then nothing right after. Everybody loses their jobs, and if there's a new administration that comes in, a few people get back into the mix. But uh, it's it's very like seasonal and rotational in terms of – much money comes in during, you know, like a presidential election versus midterm elections. So yeah, it was fun, you know, like teaching people like how to go about aggregating names from lists and reaching out to people using things like, I think at that time, Constant Contact was still like kind of one of the premier or Aweber was one of the premier email providers that you could just blast thousands of people and crazy. This is
0: pre-GDPR.
2: Yeah, right. (laughs) I mean, the state still doesn't have anything like that. So you can. I, I, don't th- I don't think it ever will.
1: To be yeah. per- to be perfectly honest, I don't Could think the G- lobbyists do so well over there. Is that- <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? We're both Americans living in Europe. Yeah. I would be willing to say, GDPR will never happen in the US.
2: No, it couldn't. Then, uh, it's not possible.
0: Uh, uh, yeah. You have so, to. Why do you think it's not possible? Surely it's possible. So <laughs> those
2: that are actually making these legislative choices have no idea how any of this stuff works. So in terms of personal data, it means nothing to them because they're like. What, you mean like my bank account, my credit card number? It's like, no, shithead, your your personal email address. And they're like, I sent an email the other day and I didn't get it until Monday. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen that clip, but I'll send it to you. <laughs> I was really hoping Senator, you weren't
0: para-quoting there, but yeah. you were. Senator
2: Ted Stevens. Who, you named him as well. Yeah. He the guy used to hey. be on like a technology committee for basically legislating some of these. Really? Bar- yeah. Yeah. And I I had Ooh. no idea how email works.
1: But, but that's also, uh, on that, I'm assuming you, have you seen the, the Zuckerberg hearings? And, and watching, oh, no. all, check out the Zuckerberg hearings. Oh, no, yeah, I have yeah, seen, yeah, yeah, Sorry. And watching all the, I think it was in front of the Senate or, or House of Rep, all of them try to describe Facebook <laughs> is the most entertaining thing in the world. Yeah. But I think the other thing that was super interesting from watching that, it was very, very clear not a single person had a clue about what facebook was and so they were all trying to describe it in different ways and and, and you could just see yep. them like trying to make sense of it in real time it, yeah. it, it, it's, it's really really amazing to see but also super scary because yeah. they were saying they're the ones who are in charge of trying to put something around this and at least in, in my opinion coming back to gdpr at least in my sense i would imagine that most of these people are benefiting from the fact that gdpr is non-existent in the u.s and I, I don't think they really have, and, and there's not the real mm. privacy pit push in the U.S. to get the, the, the masses to change it. Yeah. And I think most of them are benefiting from, from the lax privacy laws. So it's almost in their interest not to have a GDPR-like
2: More than system. likely. I, it, I mean, depending on, depending on who, <laughs> who's throwing them the money, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> there was a really interesting story out of Japan, and it was basically like the Ministry of Technology who had no idea what a thumb drive was. So they were trying to legislate in, in Japan whether or not thumb drives would be acceptable inside of nuclear facilities because somebody could swap one out and, and it's this whole liability thing. And the guy's like, I don't actually own or use a computer and I don't know what the fuck a thumb drive is. And it's like, Jesus Christ, it's <laughs> actually, everywhere. Going to this point is
0: that I think Tina and picked this up in Denmark a, a little while ago in that polit- uh, career politicians, a lot of politicians nowadays, they take it from the very get- beginning to be a politician. Yep. You learn absolutely nothing else in between about the industries, about the world. About the... Is that something that is prevalent in the U.S. more so than most? Or do you see that someone that has been a successful entrepreneur that becomes the man and then goes on to being something?
2: Yeah, if you want to be a page, uh, which is basically somebody that serves in either the House or the Senate building... And your entire job is basically like a glorified intern for the better part of a year. But as soon as you get through that, you're invited into this good old boy network. And super hard to get that job, super hard to actually do the job. It's not fun. But once you're in, you're in. And these are people. So, the, so
0: basically the only requirement is that you've gone to the right school, you know the right people, and you managed to get an internship for the year for, with That's the right it. person. Yeah, that is the only requirement to be a politician yeah is that- and then
2: you know your politician gets elected obviously you have to yeah. have that he staffs up his office with the right people he gets on more important committees signs his name on important bills all of a sudden he starts moving up in terms of clout and so do you so it's basically picking the right team but there's a lot more teams out there and the problem is none of these people and this was the scary thing where I'm showing really basic outreach stuff cold outreach and they're like what is this wiz- like wizardry? You know, like how do you do this magic? And it's like, it's called cold outreach, you shithead. Like how do you not know this? And you're you're the campaign manager, you know, like your website isn't being crawled by Google. Is that not a problem? They're like, what is crawling? And I'm like, Aah! you know, like it's crazy. But this is the world that, that exists over there. So if you've seen, what's the new Netflix, um, the big, uh, what is it called? Not the big heist. It's, you guys know what I'm talking about. If you mm-hmm. haven't seen nope. it, the, the internet would well, have told us
0: already in the comments section. But um, the film <laughs> that you're missing. Can I just say? You have, no, because I
2: know like somebody's sitting there listening, going, "Oh, this guy's an idiot." Um, the big hack. So uh, yes, yeah, the big hack. And we uh,
0: can't confirm or deny that last statement
2: made by Taylor Brown. Or sorry, it's the great hack, not the big hack. But Again. yeah, so I mean that that colors a lot of kind of the the areas within DC that were just so far behind when it comes to SEM and A-B testing and targeting and all that good stuff. I mean, that's real basic growth hacking stuff that you should learn within your first year. Mm-hmm. But again, when nobody else is doing it, I, I mean, it, it's like blue ocean. So people walk in and just make waves because it's never been done before.
0: But talk about learning about growth hacking. Just jump into that for, for a very moment. Like, can you learn to growth hack? Can you learn to go through that process? Uh, are there certain things that you should have to go through first? Or yeah. have to jump into...
2: Of course, you know, it's one of those things. So I teach uh, a fair amount, like as like a guest lecturer, either with Google Success Online or Talent Garden or CBS KU, a bunch of different universities out here. And I'm consistently blown away by meeting students after, whether it's an hour or three hours, where people come up to me and they're like, they're not teaching any any of the stuff that you've shown us in school. Why is that? And the answer is quite simple. You have to learn this stuff through doing. So mm-hmm. in order to figure out what tools to use, <clears throat> you can certainly uh, look at a ton of different websites and you can become a regular visitor of uh, Indie Hackers or GrowthHackers.com or a million other sites that kind of show this stuff. But in order to get good at it, you have to actually mm-hmm. put it into practice. Yeah. You know, It's one thing to be a mechanic that's read every book on being a mm-hmm. mechanic. It's something very different to actually wrench on cars every day. And I find that a lot of people don't get a chance to actually get good at it, uh, good at it, because either they have bad managers like I've had in the past, where they weren't allowed to really get in and do crazy things, or nobody gave them a shot. Yeah. And so I, I had to make my own opportunities, as you've heard from my background. There's nothing in there that sounds glamorous because it's not, you know.
0: I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm going back to that barrel thing. Like, <laughs> like,
2: <no. laughs> That's true. I did get two barrels, I think, at some point. Um, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't steal. Let's just leave <laughs> it at that. So they
1: they fell off the back of a truck. Is is that? I think and they happen to end up they in fell your living off room. A wagon. They fell off a wagon yeah. <laughs> into Sorry. your living room. I think
2: one was a Christmas gift, and the other one uh, I got Christmas like, because gift. it was damaged or something. But yeah, I don't know. Can I say? Is, what the,
0: I, I, I really am kicking myself for, for going into this barrel. But what use is a damaged barrel?
2: <laughs> None. It's just aesthetics. Right? Okay. Yeah.
0: Just just wanted to clarify, confirm. Yeah. Just you know
2: just aesthetics yeah. <laughs> it's like something to go above your you know mantle or your fireplace or something ridiculous <laughs> um, but yeah you know like the the concept of, of learning this stuff it it's through doing and the only way that you can learn through doing is finding an interest in it yeah so if i wasn't passionate about psychology because that that was my degree and figuring out okay if this is people's normal user experience and reaction if i break something or tweak it or find a different psychology principle to apply to what I assume people might end up engaging with, maybe I'll end up getting uh, a bigger outcome or more yeah. impact or more engagement. And it's that type of curiosity and also my desire to learn this stuff because it's fun, it's cool. It's, it's awesome to do something that not many people can do and it's, yeah. not, it's not all that difficult. It's just figuring out how to put the Lego pieces together without having the directions.
0: I mean, this sounds really, really... Actually, that is actually very difficult, by the way. just uh, <laughs> We've just had the uh, previous recording. They need but, direction in some way, shape, or form. But yes, I can get where you're coming but, from there. But
1: That's I want to jump off that. It's, it, I think it's really interesting coming back to something you were saying earlier and you are saying like, oh, like, psychology wasn't really something that was kind of leading to jobs. But at the end of the day, it sounds like actually you're using psychology a lot and what you're doing now and those principles that you learned, you're actually applying them in a way yeah. to do this growth hacking. So it ended up let's say to some extent working out in the end. It does from, work from, out in the end,
2: but it, it sucks along the way. Yes. you know. It, and I mean, I, I do have a bit of a, a driver in me because of the chip on my shoulder that has been amassed over 10 years, 12 years. And you what know, is that chip? How big is that chip? What is that chip? So like the concept of of graduating when uh, nothing is is really coming at you and there is no real opportunity, but saying, well, fuck it, this is life. I got to do something with this Mm. rather than just give up, right? Like that's, that's not possible. But watching other people have these rocket ship careers and you're sitting around going, I got a useless degree. I know I'm good at fucking working and I'll stay late and I'll do anything that I can. But I kept getting into these... Fake jobs or basically people going, hey, why don't you get another two, three years of experience and you can come join Enterprise Rent a Car? And it's like I'm getting turned down by the rental car company. No offense to, damn. <laughs> wow. So, okay,
0: so what are we on six or seven? We're not quite
2: double digits yet. Yeah. But there's still
0: a whole different section of the show to go. So. <laughs> yeah. no, but
2: if you can understand the the concept of sometimes you're just tired of floundering you know and it's one of those things like uh it's like the astronauts the right stuff right and you you've been going through all the the training you feel like you've you've done everything and they retired the space shuttle and and basically there's no jobs left for you taylor and so after a certain point you're like well fuck it i got to build my own rocket because nobody else is giving me a shot and that's super frustrating so but they
0: say that frustration i mean like you had the opportunity to do that others Probably didn't have that same mentality, ergo, not that same opportunity. Right. What has happened? Do you think of those people in in Washington D.C. of, of where you grew up? Is that they stayed in the same neighborhood, doing the same thing, going out with the girl around the cor- or the boy around the corner? Or, yeah.
2: Or, or, I, I understand what, what you're saying. What would have been
0: the ramifications of you not having this mentality of saying, I need to try something else?
2: I mean, everybody has their own, their own thing going on. I, I, I think eventually people do kind of fall into line or figure out what it is that they're supposed to be doing, um, with very few exceptions, obviously. But, you know, I, I would say the people that immediately got the chance, the foot in the door, the opportunity to come in as an entry-level marketer, I had to fight my way in to do that. And those are the people that now I look either above or beside me that are CMOs or head of growth or head of marketing for large companies. And I'm like, this person doesn't know a fucking thing. How did you get here? And wow. the reality is you had a really, really easy ride. And I'm, I'm so excited to see this change in the market, right? So oh, there's this, this unique thing that's happening. So McDonald's, Uber, Lyft, a lot of these really large Fortune 500 companies they're dropping the CMO. They're like the the days of this person that talks with their eyes closed about branding and strategy. That Why does he have a British accent there? <laughs> <laughs> what did that happen? No, I, I, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> I just felt like it was a more posh. Kind okay, of, thanks. You know. so yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, like the concept of being able to uh, walk into a room and just command something in the way of like I'm creative. And I have great ideas, therefore, we're going to do this campaign. or Mad
0: Men style. Yeah. Like going in there, pitching Mm -hmm. it, and then that's it.
2: But no attention to data, no experience with anything in the way of tools, aggregation of of different Mm -hmm. case studies that have worked in the past, and then being able to manipulate either the marketing funnel or a million different ways to target. None Mm -hmm. of that is thought through in the terms Mm -hmm. of the process. It's folks that were like, look, I... uh, I spent a lot of money in the 90s on newspapers and magazines. And it's like, well, there's the fucking door, dude. Like, that doesn't work anymore.
0: Is that because it's fundamentally that not only has the the, mar- the marketing role has changed because the the landscape has changed so much so over the, the last five, ten years. Totally. In that, and how did you communicate? How did you email? How had you reach out to people? And how did you engage them? All kind of plays into it beforehand was, I know that these top three shows are the ones that are going to draw in all the people every single week. I'm going to advertise in between these three shows. I yeah. don't deviate from that, and it goes into this radio program at this time. That's it. Yeah. And like, do you feel that that has led them to give them the experience that they need to operate and to thrive in this day
2: and age? Well, of course not, right? And and that's that's good for for anybody that actually has a desire to do well within marketing. And that's also why it's so much fun. Is it's never ending. Like There is no finish line to learning, mm. especially within this scene because it's evolving so fast. No. So you just do a little better every day, but the line keeps moving <laughs> faster than you are.
1: Do, do you, just something that, that kind of reminds me of, um, I'm a big person, big proponent of Gary Vee, and one of his big things is, is what you're saying, the line keep getting pushed is, is essentially marketers ruin everything. And, and the line keeps having to move because once, once the marketers get into it, they kind of, you know, ruin email, ruin this, yeah. ruin this. So, so they, they need the next thing and the next thing and the next thing because the, the old thing get inundated with advertisements. So people go, I don't want to deal with that anymore. Right. And so on and so forth. It's, it's, it's an it, arms race. It's arms Absolutely.
2: race. <laughs> so it's, you know, like there's, there's a great video uh, by a YouTuber called Smarter Every Day. I don't know if you guys ever heard of that dude, um, but he dissects what's happening within YouTube's algorithm. And the idea of measuring a few pixels across different parts of any video can basically show that at the same timestamp this exists or throughout a number of seconds this same set of pixels is existing. Therefore, this is duplicate content and it needs to go away. So the idea is that now people that are putting out fake content that's AI generated have to either put snowflakes over it so it, it hits some of those pixels or they turn the video slightly or they zoom in. The idea is that for everything that Google does or YouTube or Facebook to try to do a countermeasure, the marketers have to do a counter countermeasure. (laughs) And then there's another counter counter countermeasure. And that's the fun part, is it's this crazy chess they match. just put,
0: push out original content. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, I, I kid you not. So we did a few videos that were AI generated, which basically just peels out a few areas of an article and then makes a video BuzzFeed style. So with like text over the video. My channel for valuer.ai just got banned. So we got kicked off our channel because we were auto generating videos. Not a lot, but a few to get noticed. And that's what a lot of people are doing in terms of whether it's you know for political reasons or just trying to generate something in the way of traffic to I don't know something in the way of uh, uh, like a for sale e-commerce type thing. It really depends. Well, but the idea is still the same: is I'm not selling anything illegal. I'm just trying to drive people to your boy's website. You know, but it's this it's this fun cat and mouse game that requires me to outthink the people that are supposed to be smarter than me. And that's the fun part, right? It's breaking that system. And that's that's why I really enjoy marketing in general is it's it's never there's never a dull moment. There's never something that you can't overcome. You just have to outthink the smartest person probably in the room or in the room of Google, you know? Uh,
0: yes, yeah. <laughs> that's also that as well. But I think it's also what's great about marketing, and, and I'm really passionate about myself personally, is that it's about finding that, that information and gathering that and utilizing that as well, right? And utilizing it each and every time and finding out where does it make sense in this and, and split testing all the way through never sending one email to everybody. Always keep on testing, even if it's the last 10. Sure. Um, and keeping that iterative process maybe what we can do we can jump into a quick break now but after the break we go a little bit more now into your, your marketing career sure. and jump into a, a little bit more about our valuer awesome fantastic Perfect.
1: Hey everybody! Welcome back to the last segment of the Love the Problem podcast. Uh, we're sitting down here with Taylor. Uh, we've gotten into a lot of the aspects of what makes marketing so exciting. Um, I think where we'll kind of go from there now. It, Taylor, can you tell us a little about more of you know what you're doing today? Um yeah, I don't think we've gotten into the, the company and whatnot. So we're just let no. us know. Let, let us know where you're at now and, and sure. what you're doing today and, and how you're using this in, in your current
2: yeah. Role. So, I work for a company called Valuer.ai or Valuer as we call it in here. Uh, The idea is we basically match startups with large corporations. The the concept is a lot of these large companies, Fortune 500 companies, any company that has more than let's say 10,000 people, tends to start looking in more of a long-term sense because they're realizing that the amount of time where they get to stay on top is diminishing As maybe you've seen over the last 40 years, the amount of time that people stayed on that Fortune 500 list has gotten shorter with each decade. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that a lot of these big companies do the right thing for too long. So they're looking to startups to potentially stay on top for longer. Uh, And it's a really interesting space. There's a lot of bullshit, bingo, buzzwords in there. So corporate innovation, digital transformation, uh, digitalization. Quick
1: quick question, just... just for people who do it or not know, can you explain the idea of Bullshit Bingo? Sure. Because uh, I think some of our listeners might, might not be familiar with that, but if, if you're in the startup space, you're in innovation space, it's, it's definitely a thing.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends on the type it's, of it's, culture or work yeah. environment that you've had before. I actually used to do this uh, when I was doing the uh, the recruiting thing, whenever we'd go Please don't in.
0: tell when you were calling out Bingo.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. No, legitimately. <laughs> like, you know, there's certain catchphrases or uh, idioms or... Little things that are buzzwords that tend to come out more often when people don't know what they're talking about. So, you know, inside of the space of this this corporate innovation or large companies trying to evolve, corporate innovation means everything and nothing. And the idea of bullshit bingo is that if, you know, somebody used on a bingo card, all these different phrases, you probably end up winning in a very short amount of time, depending on who you talk to, (laughs) Uh, you know, and and it's wild because some of these people actually get it. And I think there's some real concepts in terms of, of future growth. And, and I mean, you've, you've sat on James, a bunch of these impact panels, and I think Mm -hmm. you can tell it's. It's probably a 70-30 split in terms of those that are real and those that are just kind of, uh, you know, well, 30 are real, 70 probably aren't. Yeah,
0: it's hard to say and it's just jumping into that side, even the, the SDG whitewashing side of things Everywhere. where people will just pick an SDG and just say, yeah, I do it this when they have actually, in fact, nothing to do with it whatsoever, yep. nor one of the sub-SDG goals or any of the related elements within that. And it's just saying, yeah, of course I'm doing life on, life on land yep. because I breathe air. And it's like, <laughs> well, okay, can we go a little bit more granular into that? So in that sense, is that the same thing?
1: Yeah. But, but I think also you get a lot into, uh, I think about a lot of Prado's principle, the, the sort of, which is otherwise known as the 80-20 rule. Yeah. 20% of people are doing 80% of basically anything of the work and that, that plays itself out in many, many, I feel the same way. Alex, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, yeah, that's cause you're, you're the 80% doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> that we but, I, but I think you, you sort of see that a lot is, is, is 20% is really doing 80% of the work and, and actually yeah. kind of what you're going and The rest of it is to kind of along what? for the ride. To some-
2: it gets deeper than that. Right. So I, I think James, you and I have talked a couple of times. There's, there's this, phrase out there called innovation theater where sometimes people want to show that they're doing stuff more than actually doing that because it's work and there's also risk involved right so sometimes it's a lot better to say hey we put together this hackathon it was two days we had a bunch of really cool people show up look the ceo came and handed out a big novelty check and everybody high five and it's a great picture and we put it on social media fuck you guys are you kidding me?" Like There's real companies out there that want to solve problems and are willing to take half the paycheck that that dude makes in order to actually make some real things work. Wow. But the problem is there's a lot of people that are like, dude, I have the greatest job in the world. I don't work very often and when I do, I get to call from my you know, ivory tower down to the peasants and basically say, oh, we're doing this now. You know, And, and you yeah. see this across every industry. One of the, the famous ones that's out here is Nokia, right? So, like, there's this great quote from the CEO as, as shit is starting to hit the fan. And he's basically saying, to the effect of, I feel like a man standing on a burning platform. And in the meantime, they're firing 10,000 people at a time. These are people's fucking lives, right? Mm-hmm. And it took Finland decades to come back from that shit. Like, they're still talking about how bad it was. You know, and, and it's the idea of a few at the very top are basically holding all the cards and saying, well, I don't know, today we feel like throwing something in the way of some cash at this, but it's all about revenue because I need to make my numbers so that I can get my fat ass golden parachute by the end of this period or my quarterly bonus. And those guys need to get the fuck out. Like That's crazy, that's how you crash economies. You know.
1: But I think, I think the other thing that's crazy about that is I'm not exactly sure what else they should do because at the end of the day, their companies have a very, very specific infrastructure and realistically, I would say to, for them to realistically do a number of these things, they would have to fire half the company and replace them with entirely different types of people that they're yes. not designed for and so on and so forth. So I feel like almost every year they go, our company today is set up to make, I don't know, billion dollars or whatever it is. We can either fire half the people, get that down to, I don't know, 500, 600 million, lose $400 million a year as we get the learning curve for all these new people for the future economy or just keep that train rolling and i don't know three years five years whatever it'll crash and burn overnight yeah. like like and they just make that decision every year they go "Ah, eh, we'll make an extra 400 million this year and and deal deal with the the crash totally agree. and ho- hopefully by that point me like you said golden parachute i will have handed the bag over to someone else so it's not it's not on my watch yeah and i'll get that and i'll be out like like i feel like that's kind of the game and it's I don't know, I don't know what, what you necessarily do in this situation. Certainly, the decision makers are not going to change that. Mm-hmm. No. Because it's not in their interests to really so, do so.
2: So, yeah, I, I uh, you brought up Gary Vee before. And, I got a chance to meet him over at Arctic 15, not this past year, but the year before. And that was the question I posed to him. And I basically said, do you think it's possible for startups to engage with corporations so that these large bloated companies continue to see growth and revenue and generating a ton of new new yeah. sources of wealth and his answer was essentially like no they need to fucking die off like there's a reason that these companies can't stay on top forever is there is too much of the 80 versus the 20 mm-hmm. and at yeah. some point the scales tip too far mm-hmm. you know do you think that could be the
0: case because ultimately these guys these these corporates are the ones with all of the resources they have a full arsenal of things that they can deploy they have all of the money they have all of the they have the time, but they can make it happen sure. as opposed to a scrappy startup, the David of the, of the world where they've got their slingshot and they're just aiming for that one right shot. I mean, does it take corporates just keep continually buying new innovation to keep themselves fresh or do they have to keep on finding new business models? Like Nokia, you, you mentioned these guys. Yes, they, they crash on their heyday as a mobile phone telecoms giant. Right. But they also started out as a cable company.
2: No, they started out as a paper company. A pa-
0: paper company? even yeah, they, they were a paper mill. Fat- <laughs> again, again,
2: <laughs> 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 Sorry, if this man. is why I'm the 20 and you're the 80. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> no, but they did evolve, right? Mm-hmm. And they evolved for... Well over a hundred and some odd years. I'm terrible at math. So, <laughs> but yeah, I'm it was late 18, right <laughs> but yeah, so I, I'm absolutely with you. And you know, the the concept is a lot of companies have managed to sustain themselves on trying new things. Again, it's, it's doing the right thing for too long. So there are plenty of instances of companies that have been around for hundreds of years and they have evolved and they've yeah. tried different things. It's making those decisions at the right time, that that's pinnacle, and it's also continuing to look at what is over the horizon. You go to where the puck's supposed to be, not where it's at right now.
0: So is that why it's really imperative to make that connection of the startups and the corporates from from this point? I, I, you know, so is it because you're seeing that if you don't do that, you're going to see even more talent and more. Things come out of the way or...
2: Yeah, so it's supposed to be David and Goliath working together not against each other. Imagine how badass that would be, an army of giant fucking dudes and people that also are strategic and quick and fast. That's the whole concept. And you can't have one or the other. You have to have both. And that is a dynamite combination. But there is a culture divide and that's one of the things that's very difficult to kind of overcome. And some people do it well and some don't.
0: How do you see that? I mean, like, is it... Do you see then a the corporate taking the the startup, and they will then be folded into the organization first off, or would it be like on a project basis typically, or or somewhere you've seen quite often now where they'll the corporate will pay for uh, a year's worth of operational revenue for yeah. a small innovation team leading a very specific product, maybe under their banner, maybe not under their banner, but related to what they're doing. Do you see that? You
2: know, I'm trying to find the question there, but I'll answer. Well, where, <laughs> but what I'm
0: trying to get at is, that where do you see this going? Where do you see the yeah. best way for corporates to work with startups? Totally. So there's I a actually asked of, about four in between. Just yeah, to right. Them.
2: <laughs> no, there's, there's a couple of different things there. So, like, corporate venture capital, in, in its truest sense, should just be an investment arm of the company that takes chances. And the idea mm-hmm. is basically saying, mm-hmm. hey, if you put me as your customer everybody's going to know who you are. I'm giving you a foot in the door. I'm giving you a head start above all your competitors. Run, you know, like, and that's what it should be. But the reality is what it often comes comes out to be is when it's internal, it's basically, hey, we're going to take your startup. We're going to plug you into our clusterfuck of a a clunky organization. And you're going to be miserable and you're going to (laughs) leave after three months because you'll hear that some other senior manager tried to steal your best developer out of your team. That's where it totally gets off the rails. Where it actually works sometimes is an external innovation lab that basically works like an accelerator, gives people resources, doesn't set silly ass standards like we want weekly reports. I'm not going to name names like for the first time, <laughs> but I've heard of these accelerators. We've that have gone through over an hour report.
0: of the show, you named up <laughs> everything. <I> mean, like.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I work in this business yeah. now,
1: right? Okay, so, oh, yeah. So, so, see, see, he doesn't care about all the other securities. <laughs> 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 yeah. like, <laughs> just like a Pirate <laughs> of yeah. the,
0: the, Literally, there's been so many it's, more clicks now. It's, it's <laughs> one, one, of,
1: one of his clients
2: is always <laughs> like, oh, I need to be good. Yeah.
0: But, um, <laughs> but no, I so was trying to get into that because is there a one? Solution fits all here or does it have to really fit onto every single scenario or? Yeah.
2: Well, so some of the scenarios are outright acquisition. And if you look at the numbers in terms of tech companies that gobble up small startups or even medium-sized startups, the the numbers are through the roof in terms of tech companies versus some of these older companies that are either in manufacturing or automotive or whatever the case is. The idea is these people are more familiar with that space and they already know what they're looking for. There's a culture change in terms of understanding like you need some of these small players to make the leap to go to the next thing. If somebody's like, so here's an example, Grunfuss. They they do water pumps, not the sexiest thing in the world. But instead of Grunfuss taking on uh, a three year project of creating IOT uh, sensors within all their distribution systems, why not find a startup that's already doing that and use them to your advantage, partner with them and who knows, maybe work it out towards the end of the thing to say, hey, we'll, we'll have a good sweetheart deal. We're not taking all of your equity. We want to be able to you know, promote you guys, but in the same time, we're giving a better service to our customers. And I think a lot of people miss that. So that model works a lot better than say, for example, you know, someone, of- Buying another
0: uh, a startup company and then trying to integrate them into the organization. Dude, it almost well.
2: never works that way.
0: So right? You see, so you hear so many stories of these founders, particularly that are now more famous than most, saying, "I quit after my period was up." Yeah. Yep. And each and every time you see that, and, and then most will say, "I refuse to use the service that bought my company." Yeah. Kind I'm gonna
2: of. Sh- I'm going to shit on another company. So <laughs> there's a company called Ernest. Uh, uh, only if you <laughs> name drop. <laughs> <laughs> So there's a company called Ernest uh, that was acquired, and it's it's they were acquired by Navient, um, which fuck those guys. So that's that's two and one. <laughs> yeah. um, they're a student loan organization. So yeah. I ended up paying almost forty five grand to those guys. So you know enjoy. Um, Forty-five
0: thousand times. Yeah, exactly.
2: Uh, I'm, Dude, it's a lot of money. And Denmark yeah. has it all figured out in terms of like no student loan debt.
0: Oh, yeah. And being paid to study.
2: Yeah, right. You know, that, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, hearing through the grapevine and seeing what happened to this company, Ernest, after there was this vesting period of if you stay for this long after the acquisition, you get your full warrant package or your full equity of whatever you've built. All these people were waving goodbye. You know, the idea is like, dude, you built this thing. Where are you going? And they're like, what? I, this is an exit. Like, I'm done here. Ah. And the problem is you you leech out all of this senior management and everybody's scrambling to figure out what the fuck to do next.
0: Because that's part of the, the core culture, right? And the leadership yeah. of, of where the company comes in from. We saw that, let's say at Nest, for example, is a good example of what just happened recently. Sure. Let alone all the um, with um, WhatsApp. Of course, and seeing that in the parent company, um, you're seeing that time and time again. Go back to
1: MySpace, that happened to MySpace when they got bought out as well. Is that
0: for the fourth or the eighth time they are bought
2: out? (laughs) You know, I don't know enough about the the whole MySpace thing, but I I imagine it's it's mostly true because as a a founder and, and somebody that has started companies... Yeah, you want to move on to the next one. By the time you've gotten that far down the road, yeah. most of the time you're like, dude, I am so over this activity, I'm done with this niche, you know? But
0: if you're doing it early enough, which I'm guessing is the connection with Valuer and making sure that, that happens succinctly um, from, from not day one, but super early, I think, does it not allow you to grow that relationship up at the, at the same time so does it doesn't feel like you've worked so hard, you've gone all the way through this process, and then boom, you've now got a company then, which is the parent company, you're done. Yeah. So you don't have that kind of miscommunication. No,
2: it's the collaboration. You know, this is why Y Combinator gives out a shitload of money when somebody gets into their program. Because people remember the sweetheart deals at the beginning. And the idea is working with some of these really talented startups... In an early stage you're able to kind of watch them grow and say these are the standout stars let's pump way more money into these guys and work out something in the long run that we can both profit from you know that's why vcs get into the game you know that it's one out of every hundred investments that actually turns out to be okay you know and that's what you bank on right so if you even have a small piece of one of these rocket ships you're still winning you're still winning than any other large company out there but it's taking those chances. and A lot of people are like, meh, I don't know. We're still doing well in this sector. And it's like, no, you're not. Like, dude, you haven't looked around in the last five years. Like, everybody's falling behind. That's why startups are out disrupting you. Do you see are
0: companies looking towards other sectors more and more now? Or are they still trying to still take their own sector and innovate within their own sector? Like, yeah. From what you see?
2: It's a mix, right? So you see companies like IKEA that are doing some really cool things with mobile uh mobile cars that are are essentially like here's a gym inside of an autonomous vehicle or here's a cafe that comes to you and that's ikea doing that Uh, which mm. interior design i guess i get it interior for a car uh, i don't know uh, but you do see grand leaps that are happening in, in a lot of different spaces, you know? So, like, a lot of the folks that are inside of banking are trying to figure out, why don't people want to come to the bank anymore? And it's like, because it fucking sucks. Nobody wants to be and, in a bank, yeah. you know?
1: And most of them are pieces of shit. Like, especially yeah. the American ones. Like, all the American... Wa- <laughs> wow. I want to name-drop all of them. You, say, you didn't name-drop anyone one. for
0: ages, and you yeah. just did the whole oh. banking industry <laughs> in America. It's, it's
1: infected of. the other side of the table. I love this. <laughs>
2: But yeah, you have a lot of these companies that are getting into adventure tech or are trying to look at different ways to, uh, to work into e-commerce. And everybody wants to find what the next big thing is. And even if it's not directly relational, it's still, it's still worth exploring, right?
0: Yeah. So I think, you know, with that in mind, is it that people are seeing more, they're, they're taking more risk on startup because it's such an earlier stage now? Now, taking it into the corporate startup arena, because I'm guessing the corporate still won't pay for an MVP. They want it validated in some way. Yeah, or well, will they pilot it, or how does this work?
2: That's the most frustrating thing. So you will find on rare occasion and and some of the clients that that we've talked to, there's an element of education here where you have to explain why this is interesting and valuable. and when you when you actually plant that seed and they start to figure that out, that's when everything grows, and everything's understood. But the idea of like, well, we only want to acquire companies that have 500,000 MRR, or we only want to work with companies that are that far along. It's like, dude, they don't need you anymore. Yeah. Like you've missed the bus, you know, like it's over. So, you can, you can work with them, but you're gonna to have to pay for their rates, right? And go for their
0: services like everyone else does.
2: Totally. And, and, and there's no sweetheart deal there. So, the idea of coming in at the 11th hour and being like, Well, I, I believed in you from the beginning. Fuck I just didn't you, tell you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, imagine if you had built that relationship from such an early stage. And the reality is, you have to let go of a lot more money to take more of those chances. So they're starting to figure it out, and and it's it's still it's still early, and there's a lot of accelerator programs that blow, and, and there are some that are really good. You know, I'm I'm not saying all of them suck, but I'm saying it takes a certain type of mindset to go in and say my yeah. my bonus is not predicated on what happens within here. My goal is to grow all of these companies and hopefully have a few winners at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. I I just want to touch touch base on that because I had a funny thing happen to me yesterday. Um, I'm not going to name drop because I, I overall enjoyed my experience, but I was on the phone <laughs> of an accelerator that I was an alumni for. Okay. I mentioned the year that I was alumni there, and the person who I was on the phone with basically apologized for the year that I went through. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was like, okay, like for me, it wasn't that bad, and we were the first year running, but she, she quite literally was like, yeah, we don't really know what happened that year, but... Man. And I was just like, all right, well, fine, and I guess... See, but I, everybody's guessing, right? It, it, everybody's
2: yep. just kind of making it up as they go along, and that's the frustrating thing, you know. Like I, I was I'm gonna shit on VCs now, so I was sitting with. <laughs> I, I kept quiet <laughs> during the whole accelerator <laughs> <episode laughs> piece. Like I
0: was, I was just about to wrap up and everything. So that's what the time we oh. no. got. <laughs> <Well, like, laughs>
2: um, <laughs> no, but I, I was sitting with some uh, some VCs at a, a pitch event. Uh, it was like an after dinner kind of thing, and I, I was really eager to kind of find out what their thoughts were on a startup that I'd been working on, and. I started going through my business model and asking 20 questions a second. I was super curious. And the answers I, w- I was getting were, were kind of lukewarm, not really hitting. And I realized I'm sitting across from a 27-year-old kid. Uh, he's never built a business in his entire life. He shares the same last name as one of the board members of the VC. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're a fucking nobody. Like, you haven't done anything. Mm-hmm. And, and there's too much of that. It's right. more than ninety percent of VCs and people that work within corporate innovation have never started a company before. So that on that side
0: is that relating back to akin to politicians in, in to career politicians oh, sure. in that same way. Absolutely, so it's a few of people we're, we're upsetting now. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Everybody <laughs> is.
2: I come off like a right asshole, but you know, my yeah. heart's in the right place. Like, maybe you shouldn't be influencing people or making yeah. those decisions because, again, those are people's lives. If you are in charge of either motivating startups or getting them to a place that they need to be, and this is their life's ambition, why the fuck are you there if you're only there for a paycheck? Wow. You know, And that's so difficult to find. So uh, I don't know. Sorry, I, I, I mean uh, <laughs> shit on everybody at the same time as cutting you off. No, you but, know, but, know, but, but I, think, so. I think it's
1: really true. And something, I feel like we've touched on this at some point or maybe not, or I've just touched on this in my personal thing is, I think there's A, a newer wave of VCs, from former founders who have this operational experience. And I think also there's a newer wave of right now, there's so much VC money in the system, like a totally. stupid amount of VC money in the system that startup founders are being more selective and being like, wait a second, who are the ones that are actually going to give me value and actually going to help me with my startup? And And I've always, I'm, I've been through three ventures and I've been on the investment side and I've, I've done all this kind of stuff. I've been on boards and, and so on and so forth. I honestly really, really believe Cash is the lowest level of resource. Huh. I, I, I believe getting sales, getting distribution, getting getting contacts, like all the getting operational help, et cetera, et cetera, is, is just way more useful because if you get that yeah. stuff in place, great point. You're actually going to grow. Yeah. Like, I was, like, I was just about to go all over you on that. Oh,
0: so <laughs> the And then both of us are going, Yeah, actually, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're,
1: you're, you're actually going to grow. And, and I think ultimately, at the end of the day, that you get capital to get all those other things. And if you get it from a VC or whatever, they're just middlemen, so it's just more expensive. Yeah. Like if you can actually get the, the direct things that lead to growth, then you're better off. And I, I think more and more founders are, are starting to realize that and starting to be yeah. much more selective of, of who are they going towards. And yeah. I think the other thing, I was actually in a conversation yesterday, what they were saying is that in, in most situations, to some extent, VCs are built around, let's say one superstar that all the founders want to do, because they know that guy's really, really good. So right. they build a platform around him. And the rest of it is just the support system or whatever. And, and you know, let's say you, you get an investment from from that VC and you don't get the superstar, you get really disappointed. You're like, oh, no, like that's the guy who I wanted to be connected to. And, it, and usually what ends up happening is that guy might spin out into his own thing. And then the fund is kind of kind of stuck. Like, what are they going to yeah. do? Because it their their star is is what what's driving the, Sorry, the deal just flow so
0: to that we're not going to name any VCs or any programs mm. but let's say there's a company that has a number in their name <laughs> and that has someone that started it that's really prominent that is no longer there with them anymore i mean you, you, x, x, x ventures have. Mm. i try to keep it as blank as possible <laughs> right but I mean like in terms of that, so, so seeing such a superstar leader into the space and, and you know having that energy and yes, he or she was wrongly motivated in the way that they went out and did it in their early days, of course, learning as you go through. Do
1: you see that change What, what, what are you yeah. giving repentance for right here, James?
2: is not my... God.
0: I swear it's nothing Dude, to do with funny. 3B. <laughs> 3B has nothing to do with it. It has one extra digit than 3B, okay? It has three digits, BC. Um, but, I mean, like, ultimately looking at that, like, how do you... Is that you're saying, these guys are going to struggle now because he's gone? And that, that superstar has gone, that was a nod by the way, just, you know. no, I, I mean, I,
1: I think ultimately, and I think to some extent connecting this back to what we were saying before is I think at some point these things become machines and people just start operating based on their reputation. Yeah. But at some point, like your reputation in and of itself doesn't provide value. Mm. And I will even go far at some of the things that look at, we were talking about this earlier and, and you know, they've done really, really well historically, but I would argue someone like Y Combinator. If you looked at what they've done for us recently, they've been, they've been coasting for a number of years now. That's interesting, yeah. Eddie, <laughs> what have you done for me lately? No, but... but uh, Internet, you can fact-check me on this, and if you want to argue, let's do it. But let's take a real look at what, what Y Combinator has done since their, their huge blow-ups about... Most of them were about 10 years ago. The last five years, they've been coasting on their name, and, and you can see that play out in so many different arenas. I, where you I, get to I, a point where you just start coasting. And, and then let's, let's wow. be real about it. What, what value is there really like, like to the market of reputation? You, yeah, you can kind of sell that. And, and to be perfectly honest, our country has a, as a president that basically became president based on name, reputation. Uh, seriously, like that, that's how he became president. He, be, he branded his name and that got him president. So I guess you can do something that way, but it's not good for innovation. And I would argue he has definitely not been providing value for people in probably decades. So <laughs> let's be real about that. But, I'm, I'm keeping <laughs> quiet
0: on Donald J. I'm just you know, bypasses and uh, observer of this. You know, it's, uh, both of them Americans are not happy. By the way, every time I say the name, it's like mustafa Mustafa.
2: <laughs> no, I, I mean I, I have no opinion on that. I mean, everybody. It's one of those things you you have that conversation so often in Denmark as an American. Yeah. And, yeah. It's it's like fuck you. I'm not apologizing anymore. Like it's it's not my job Quiet. to be the ambassador that apologizes for some clown that I have no control over. You know, so I just kind of like zone out whenever his name comes up. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. And just like
0: you know, it's not, not my we're... fault.
2: <laughs> like I didn't do anything. You know, so I didn't work on his campaign or against it. <laughs> <laughs> it crazy. Well, it's,
0: uh, yeah. I'm just, like, wrapping that through. I mean. Man, thank you very much for, for taking the time um, out today. Yeah. And it's been great to, to hear your story, to kind of hearing along the lines, mm. don't cross his path the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, I think we've, we've been naming... I was just
1: thinking about think this. we have like seven or eight... Like we, we've been uh, naming our episodes like Name a Person and the Blah Blah Blah. And I think this one is just going to be Taylor Ryan and Shitting on Everybody. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's probably going to be the title of this episode. I kid you not.
2: James yesterday was like... I, I think everything honest is cool but like totally shit on people <laughs> so I think I, I, I said that up was my, my, my brief
0: actually uh, <laughs> yeah. as we caught up so yeah no um, no thanks again and um, really really enjoyed the time and um, hope we can get you back on the show with some other guys soon
2: yeah sounds great thanks for having me guys yeah, thank fun.
0: you Doug. fantastic thanks man
1: Hi everybody, that was another wonderful episode of Love the Problem, this time with Taylor Ryan. Uh, he obviously has a bone to pick with a number of people, uh, but hopefully that is inspiration for them to step up their game. As always, please like, comment, tell us how we're doing, um, tell us what we're not doing well, and if you have other guests that you want on the show, please let us know, and we're looking forward to the next one. Alright, bye
0: do do oh, oh,